Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Most of the regular listeners of this podcast are also, I think, readers of the Tech Dirt blog, uh, but I get the feeling that this episode may have some new listeners who aren't used to the podcast. So uh, let me just start off with a bit of background or explanation of what this podcast is. Uh, nearly every week, the Tech Dirt podcast is a discussion on a particular theme, starting with an opening thought from me, uh, leading into a discussion with either some of our frequent co-hosts or an ever-changing list of guests. Uh, if you like the podcast after you listen to it and you're new, uh, please subscribe. I mean, if you're not new, you can also do any of these things, but this is specifically if you are new, please subscribe to it via whatever podcast player you happen to have. And also, please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever else uh, you happen to get your podcast and have an opportunity to review us. Uh, we've got over 160 past episodes for you to check out as well. And uh, also, we've never done any ads on the podcast, uh, so no mattresses or home security or whatever else is popular to advertise on podcasts these days. So if you really like what you hear, consider backing us on Patreon at patreon.com slash of course, I'm guessing that many of the new listeners today are coming from already backing us, but in a different way. Uh, today, we are discussing um, our project, which is now on Kickstarter, called CIA Collect It All, which is our adaptation of a competitive card game that the CIA uses uh, for training and only recently declassified. Uh, joining me on the podcast today are two others who, uh, along with myself, make up the team of three folks who have been working on this adaptation of the game. Uh, both of the others have been on this podcast before, uh, but on different episodes, and now all three of us are together to talk about the game. Um, the three of us are working collaboratively on basically all aspects of the game, but to highlight our areas of expertise, I guess, we have Lee Beaton, uh, who works with me here at TechDirt and who is focused on the actual redesign of the cards and how the game will look. Uh, and we also have Randy Lubin from Diegetic Games, uh, who is working on a bunch of the gameplay aspects. So welcome to both of you. Thanks for uh, having us back on. It's good to be on the show again. Sure. And uh, before we jump into the discussion, I, I wanted to just give a quick backgrounder, I think, on, on sort of how we got here. Uh, and so the story is, in case you haven't followed it, uh, back in March of 2017, the CIA, and that's the uh, Central Intelligence Agency and not the Culinary Institute of America, uh, hosted a, a somewhat surprising panel at South by Southwest in which CIA employees revealed that the CIA had created and was actually using a series of board and card games for internal training purposes. Um, they also revealed that, uh, well, they revealed at least some of the details of those games and, and allowed a few people to, to play them, though in a limited way, and they wouldn't allow photographs and apparently a 
fire alarm <laughs> was pulled in the middle of it or something. Um, so, but following this, uh, a few people filed FOIA requests around the game. Uh, Mitchell Cotter, Kotler, uh, who's a co-founder of our favorite Freedom of Information Act or FOIA site called Muckrock, uh, filed one for the details on the card game known as Collection Deck, while an entrepreneur named Douglas Palmer filed a FOIA request for some of the other games. And then between December of last year and March of this year, the CIA eventually declassified redacted details, including cards, boards, and rules for three of the games that they've made. Uh, so our project, CIA Collect It All, is, uh, is adapting Collection Deck, um, which as mentioned, is a competitive card game that the CIA uses for training. Um, after looking over the the games from the FOIA release, you know, part of what inspired us to do this was we realized that ones that were developed in-house by CIA employees were actually in the public domain, uh, something that we've talked about on TechDirt quite a bit, the importance of the public domain. And under Section 105 of the Copyright Act, works created by the federal government are not subject to copyright, which makes them public domain and means that anyone is free to build on them. And that's exactly what we're doing. So for this podcast, I want to talk some more about the game, just in general, um, our thinking behind doing the project, how the game works, and some of the design ideas that we've been working on. So um, I wanted to start, I guess, with just sort of first impressions of the game. So Randy, since you're the official game guy, <laughs> what, what, what was your first impression uh, when you first sort of saw the game, when you were looking through the FOIA or, or when you first sort of testing it out? So I, I was intrigued just from the pitch alone, and it was really sure. fun. Yeah, it was really fun to look through the documents and see the the types of uh, information they were trying to convey through the game from like mm -hmm. a pedagogical sense, and then also how they were trying to ensure it was fun. So yeah. on the pedagogy side, the techniques were you know really broad, but things that uh, officers and analysts at the CIA. Were, were likely to uh, encounter, uh, I guess, at some point in their career, and uh, and really interesting to see how how they looked at the techniques, and then also the things that could prevent those techniques from being effective. All things that I'm sure would be on CIA employees' minds as they're coming up <laughs> with a, an intelligence strategy. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, what struck me too is like I, I kind of, you know, when I first heard like, oh, CIA games, my my first reaction, honestly, is like I think when a lot of people attempt to make games that they they're not that sophisticated. Um, and so the games sort of come out as very sort of simplistic and really not that fun. Um, and so I, I almost like, I was like expecting it to be sort of like go fish level <laughs> of, of gaming, like very, very simplistic and really not that interesting. But then like you start looking at it, you're like, Oh, you know, whoever designed this clearly is a, is a game player, right. Has, has definitely, um, you know, spent some time sitting around a table, rolling dice or flipping cards or doing a variety of different things because um you know there's definitely a lot of thought and and testing put into into these games that was sort of my first reaction um, definitely and and the the FOIA documents came with design notes and you can tell that this game was thoroughly play tested with a lot of thought and attention given toward balance um i don't do we mention the the name of the the designer um, no we should yeah yeah so david clopper is the uh the cia um, employee who designed this and, uh, and spoke at the South by Southwest panel. And he, he, uh, I, think, I believe he mentioned it on the panel. He like loves games and was thrilled to bring it in-house to 
the, the CIA. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the story from, from the panel was apparently that, you know, he was sort of tasked with creating some new training programs and, you know, outside of, you know, he had always been sort of interested in games and, and you know, loved playing tabletop games. Um, and, you know, I guess he'd been a pretty long-term CIA employee at that point. And so sort of, you know, broached the subject of like, hey, instead of just like making another PowerPoint deck and forcing people to sit through a, you know, a boring lecture, what if we tried to do training through games? And, you know, I guess, you know, <laughs> he had enough, uh, enough credibility that they were like, sure, you know, why don't we try it? And, and apparently it seems to have worked if he's created a bunch more games since then. Yeah, and you can clearly see the influence of modern game design in his and in the other games too. Uh, whereas again, like you know, if, if these are not Go Fish clones. Uh, the I guess I'll describe two of the others first, and then we can talk sure. about the one that that we're uh, doing the next evolution of. But uh, in uh, Collection, the board game, not Collection Deck, which we're doing the the redesign of. You know, uh, collection, the board game is is clearly modeled on Pandemic, so it's yeah. a cooperative game. Uh, coordinating with your other players is essential. You have complementary skills, uh, and they're dealing with a crisis. And, and you can really see the, the key design principles from that and other cooperative games breathe through in that design. And then w one of the other games that documents were released on was Kingpin, the hunt for El Chapo about narco-terrorism. <laughs> and wow, that, that game totally blew me away too. Uh, drawing both on the, um, the war game uh, community uh, that goes back for you know decades, as well as um, as well as some of the modern uh, counterinsurgency war gaming. Uh, I forget if uh, Volko Runke, the um, very well regarded uh, board game designer who's done uh, counterinsurgency games like uh, A Distant Plane, uh, was was involved in that one or one of the other games. No, but... he did. Yeah, he was the one. He was involved with the El Chapo game. Right, and, uh, and so it's, it's just clear to see these these really great design principles uh, baked in, and uh, likewise um, in the game that you know we're doing the updated version of uh, in Collection Deck, uh, you could see the influence of uh, several games in there. Uh, I'm not sure if I, I don't remember seeing it mentioned as an inspiration, but I definitely feel flavors of uh, Munchkin in there. Where, yeah. That's yeah. true, actually. Play players have the opportunity to be uh, countering each other just when they think they're about to succeed. You can prevent a, a winner from just running away with the, the game by, by having right. other players naturally gang up on them. Uh, so that was definitely fun to sort of teach. <laughs> I hadn't even I haven't ev even made that connection. I actually do end up playing Munchkin quite a bit because uh, my kids love that game. Yeah, I see. I hadn't thought of that either, but I see what you mean. I mean, I guess maybe part of why it feels different, and I think it's a good thing, is because like if one thing bugs me about playing Munchkin, it's how sort of completely random and out of left field so many <laughs> yeah. things that which can be fun, and when that's the type of game you want to play, right? But um, whereas in this, there it, it feels more logical and sensible the way a contest yeah. over a card unfolds. It, it feels like it has a sensible narrative to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely not as, as sort of free from, free free form and random as Munchkin. Is. And, and actually, so, I mean, that leads me into, like, one of the things that impresses me most about, about this game is, like, how um, realistic it feels, <laughs> like, to, to an almost eerie extent. And, and I'm sure this has to do with the amount of sort of playtesting and preparation that, that the CIA did with it. But, like, as I'm playing it and, you, you know, you're doing things and you're lining up, you know, and maybe we should go through a little bit about how the game works and then but but um you know what's amazing to me is as the game pl 
plays out, like you build these scenarios that appear really realistic. And so you'll be sitting there and being like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is exactly what, what has really happened uh, in the real world. And this is definitely what the CIA is doing, or this is definitely where the CIA has run into problems trying to, you know, deal with ISIS or, you know, <laughs> Russia or whatever it might be. Definitely. Um, especially, especially on the reality check side. Yeah. Where, uh, I, when I've been, when I've been playtesting the game, it's so natural for, you know, if one of us plays a reality check, the other goes, oh, of course this must have happened. And then they, right. you know, they, they list exactly what the scenario could have been. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my favorites are, uh, uh, both, uh, red tape <laughs> where it's like bureaucracy just gets in the way and then, uh, encryption. And that one makes me feel good because, you know, I'm a big supporter of, of encryption. So like I was playing and, and somebody had done like, uh, uh, intercepting text communications and then got hit with the encryption card. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, encryption saves the day. Easy signal. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so, so it's, uh, it's kind of fun. And so, so why don't we, we discuss a little bit, just sort of like, you know, without going too deep into running through a game, but like how the gameplay works. Um, Randy, do you want to jump on that or I, sure. I can describe it too? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'll, I'll provide an overview and you can jump in with details. Sure. So the game is played over a series of rounds. Uh, the players are in the role of information collection analysts or officers. And uh, there are a set of crises out in the middle of the table, international crises. And uh, your goal as the player is to put together information strategies to deal with these crises. And uh, you do so, uh, each player has a hand of seven cards uh, at the start of each round. These cards contain a variety of tactics from different uh, intelligence uh, disciplines, from uh, human intelligence, which could include things like interrogation, uh, to uh, signals intelligence, where you're, you're taking a look at communiques that are going back and forth, to uh, geo-int, uh, so satellites and, uh, and mapping technology. And so you, and each of these um, could match with some of the crises on the table. Uh, without getting too into the weeds, uh, you know, the cards have, you know, the crises have both difficulties and uh, domains or aspects. So is this a, a military problem, an economic problem, uh, weapons, uh, political, or some combination of, of them? And so the, the cards that you're playing, that you're assembling to tackle these challenges, have to match. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're sitting there trying to come up with the best strategy to diffuse or understand these crises. And uh, the other cards in your hand, and that you know are in uh, the rival player's hands, are reality check cards. And so that's like uh, encryption that Mike mentioned earlier. And these are cards that when you go on your turn and say, I'm going to deal with this crisis, I'm going to deal, deal with it through these, say, three tactics... Uh, that then the other players can play cards that go, oh, it's not so easy. And, uh, and then you have to figure out, like, do you have other cards in your hand that can uh, help build up your strategy more? Because their, their reality checks might cancel your cards or make them irrelevant. Uh, and so can, can you cancel it? Do you have backup plans? And there's a lot of this, like, very sharp play trying to figure out if you can, in fact, diffuse this crisis on your own. And if you mm-hmm. don't diffuse it, uh, any progress that you made stays on the table, and other players can then try and swoop in and uh, <laughs> and claim the crisis. Uh, you know, take credit all the credit for completing the crisis. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I mean, there's a lot of sort of interesting strategy and and like you know, I in doing some of the play testing at one point, I tried to do one where I, I sort of set out a strategy 
pre-game where like each player was going to sort of try and do one thing and then they get the cards and like nope <laughs> all that has to go out the window based on the cards that you have you really got to figure out the right strategy based on what's on the table and what's in your hand and that can change as as things go and as you begin to realize too like what kinds of cards are in other players hands or what they're what they're playing against you um also helps because like you know as hands get lower you begin to realize like you might have fewer techniques in your hand but other players may have fewer reality check cards and so it might be easier to get something so there's all these sort of uh elements to, to figuring out like you know what what do you want to do tactically and strategically um yeah it's a game that the, the rules are pretty quick to explain but there's a lot of depth in the tactics and strategy yeah yeah and and again like you know what's what's so impressive is sort of how well designed it is in terms of like the techniques and the reality checks and the and the crises like all matching um almost always i mean and, and every time i've played i think there's only been like one time where i was like you know technically by the gameplay like this this thing works with this situation um but like in reality i'm not sure that would really happen but most of the time like the vast majority of times as i've played the game a bunch at this point um and i think it's only once where i was like oh that that one's weird um but every other time it's like oh yeah you know this is this is almost almost definitely what's what's really happening out there um and so it's you know it's really fun and 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 oddly educational um you know, I didn't. I didn't quite realize that I. I was so interested in knowing like how the CIA does get this kind of information. Yeah, I mean, also apart from just the specifics of like, oh, that situation makes sense. That situation makes sense. There's something educational in the overall aspect of, of which is the yeah. point of giving you a feel of what intelligence analysis really is, right? Where like someone totally. has access to all these various assets that can be deployed in different ways with different restrictions to gain information about stuff. They're trying to collate all that information, put together the assets they need to get the amount of information they need to deal with something that's going on. And then you you know the the limitations on the cards introduce all these ideas that in some analogous form are certainly there in real life like oh some uh, you know all the uh techniques have a lower end of difficulty that they can apply to right so you're not just looking for a technique that's strong enough to solve the crisis yeah. but they've got lower limits too because you can't deploy really expensive high power techniques against minor crises yeah and things like that so there's all these little elements that creep in not even in the specific situations but just overall in the mechanics of thinking about that game which is surely more complicated in real life but has that same model of you know what what can we deploy in the most efficient way possible to gather the information we need here? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there are times in the game where you exactly get that feeling too, where it's like you have like this really powerful tool, but you're like, Oh, I can't like, you know, it's, it, it, it can't work on this fairly simple crisis. I have to use something else. And, and again, like, you know, there's a part of you that's like, but I have this powerful tool, but then you realize like, Oh, right. Right. You know, you shouldn't necessarily be able to, to apply a, you know, a powerful or expensive tool or technique against a, you know, a minor crisis or something like that. And so, yeah, you have all these sort of limitations and rules that, that make it really interesting. And, you know, um, we'll talk a little later about the sort of storytelling variant that, that Randy, you're working on, but, you know, just, you know, even without that, like every game seems to just sort of naturally build stories around it. I mean, as you see what's happening in the game, like your imagination immediately starts going to like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> this, these things are really happening and here's the story and you can picture like, 
you know, how, how they're trying to get information and how to deal with different crises. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool that way. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, among the, the many things that we're doing in terms of like updating the rules, tweaking things is, is completely redoing the design of the cards. Um, and Lee, that's the thing that you've been focused on. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know you've sort of been, you know, putting a lot of thought into, um, not just, you know, making them look nice, which is important, but also, you know, some of the cards are fairly information dense and, and trying to present that in a way that, you know, both looks good and is, you know, uh, useful from an information display point of view. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, we're at sort of a middle stage in the card design right now. You know, we, we've done our sort of functional design. We've done a lot of playtesting, come up with some stuff we want to change. We're still revisiting certain aspects of the text. So it's hard for me to pin down concretely exactly <laughs> what we can say about what the final sure, you know, sure. cards are, are yeah, going yeah. to look like. But yeah, certainly like, uh, I mean, you know, sort of from the start, we discussed this a bit and, and the general idea to... Uh, you know, just visual style wise was to pay homage to the fact that this is like a leaked FOIA'd document that everyone first saw as, you know, those photocopied half redacted pages and sort of apply that look to the cards, which I think is a, is a fun way to do it. And it's, you know, we we face the challenge that this is a very text heavy information, heavy game uh, Mm -hmm. with not a lot of, you know, graphical assets and stuff. It'd be very different if, you know, we were designing something with, you know, exciting pictures for everything that's going on. <laughs> but um, so, you know, yeah, we're trying to pay, pay some homage to that source of the game and apply uh, that look that, that photocopied leaked document. Uh, you're seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing or only now are allowed <laughs> to see kind of look to the, uh, to the cards. And, and then, yeah, informationally, the big challenge is a, the density of information on some cards and then also the, huge uh the huge range of how much information is on certain cards because we do face a thing where some of the cards have a long list of multiple restrictions like things that they're not affected by or whatnot and Mm -hmm. um others have nothing like that and so there's uh that challenge of building these cards so that you know some don't look too cramped and others don't look too completely devoid of information on them which are all things we're sort of still working on as we finalize the the deck yeah. but we're we're working on a new iteration now and uh yeah. you know you guys have seen what i put together for that and we're you know i think we'll uh have a pretty good solution in the end um yeah and and you know and and already we've we you know i think what is this we're on our third or fourth iteration already in terms of card design and we're basically sort of, third yeah yeah and we're, we're we're testing out different things and each of them works but you know the more that we can do to sort of improve it and and you know just make the gameplay experience better that's that's kind of our focus and we'll you know we'll keep working on that um until we're sort of really comfortable with 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 how the how the whole thing works and yeah, it's I- you know as I say, it also really speaks to that value of playtesting. And, you know, yeah. we, as we playtest it, we know what information we really want at our fingertips. And then Lee's done a phenomenal job of, of taking that feedback and playing with the, the information architecture of, the, of the, the cards and the positioning just to make sure it is as friendly to the players as it could be. Yeah, yeah. And I think because, like, and it's important to note, like, the, the, the basic, um, you know, mechanisms and gameplay of, of the game it's it's not difficult to to figure to understand how to play the game. I mean, people can, you know, get the basic concept of the rules and pick it up, you know, within minutes easily. Um, 
you know, I said in an update recently, like, you know, I, I tested it with my, my eight year old son, uh, and, and he picked it up you know, really quick, faster than, the, than some of the adults at that table <laughs> actually. Um, and, um, you know, so the, the gameplay you can pick up really quickly, but there is a lot of information figuring out like, how do you, how do you present that in a way that, that makes the gameplay fun and, and enjoyable and, and, you know, that sort of just eases the path to actually making the game work, um, is one of the things that we've been working on and, and coming up with some really good solutions. We just got to keep testing it to figure out, you know, which ones work the best. And I, I think, you know, we have, we have good solutions. We're still checking to see if we can do even better. Yeah, like one of the things that's interesting is it, it it exists in sort of this middle ground. I mean, from the start, there was a description of how it has some elements of collectible card games yep. and some elements of, you know, your average, your sort of normal deck of card games like Whist, I think was the example they gave, but who plays that anymore? So I don't know. There's probably <laughs> right. like Rummy or something, right? Um, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but um, yeah, so it puts it in this middle ground because so you've got these basic rules of the cards, which we've talked about a bit, like the difficulty ranges and, you know, what difficulty something can apply to. And so that's all a fixed, consistent number. But then some of the interest and the complication in the game comes from the more specific limitations that exist. So you'll have techniques that are that say on them they're not affected. They can't be disrupted by certain uh, reality check cards that people might play to counter them. Like yeah. they have immunities and such. And so, you know, in, in a in a truly ongoing collectible card game like Magic the Gathering or whatnot, you'd get all those sorts of immunities and things you, they'd you'd sort of boil them down into categories, right? So you'd have, you know, different types of damage or whatever, and different cards are immune to that. And then in a simple card game, you just don't have any really specific special restrictions like that. Everything plays by the numbers. Right. And this is in that middle spot where there's sort of not enough of them to boil them all down into categories that could then be <laughs> indicated by a simple icon or something, you know? Um, but yeah. there's not none of them either. So there's a lot of cards that in the CIA's version, they should just sort of list straight up, here's six different reality cards or I think maybe five is the most that one of them has, but, you know, five different reality check cards that this is immune to, um, right. which is, you know, I, it will, it will most likely remain that way. I, you know, I don't think we're going to change that, but that's one of the, the sort of challenges of the middle ground that it sits in, in terms of which type of game it is. Lee, yeah. You're giving me so many ideas for like expansions. I mean, you can turn this into a, like a living card game where you advance through time and then you get new techniques and then, technology you know countermeasures evolve and new reality checks come out and you're just trying to exploit your techniques for as long as they're you know unchecked yeah, yeah. it could be interesting <laughs> i mean if you doubled the number of cards in it right then then you would start generalizing some of this stuff into categories um you know which the game uses some of already like there are certain techniques are marked as satellite techniques and certain ones aren't and then certain you know countering reality check cards can only affect satellite techniques um, but then there's other areas where it's just one particular card that something's immune to or, or, right. or whatnot. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fine. That's the way it is. And it works quite well for this game. It's not a, it's not a problem by any means, but, um, if it were more cards, it would, you would yeah. generalize those out and then it would be much easier to convey in some ways with, you know, a, a icons or whatnot. But yeah, I, I, I've been, I've definitely been thinking like there could certainly be expansion packs for this, but I've been trying not to think about that until it's like, we, we got to focus on getting the initial yeah. core game out. Um, but, but it is definitely possible that, that this could, you know, you could allow for for things like collectible card games where you could have expansion packs that could have that could introduce new techniques and new crises and and 
um, new reality checks and all of that. Um, and you could sort of build up even, even more around it, but it, it could be turned into a deck building collectible card game too, in that yeah. sense, but which would be interesting. I mean, and you know, the play would still remain very similar, but it would change the strategy deeply. Um, yeah. it would need a whole lot of, uh, that would be a lot of work, but it would be interesting. Yeah. But, but right now <laughs> we're focusing on the core game, but, but yeah, yeah, it is, it is definitely possible. I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, sort of, amusing and strange i mean we talked about like uh you know that that it feels sort of inspired a little bit by munchkin but uh and you you mentioned um the ones that they named but they named sort of an odd collection of of games that that it was similar to including like um i'm trying to remember now i think they said like bridge and like magic the gathering and i was like those two games are nothing like one another (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um but but then as you play you're like oh yeah it definitely sort of takes pieces from um, all these different kinds of, of games. And so it, it does open itself up to, to all different ways to, to, to modify it as well. Yeah, like I think the big, you know, the big similarity to Magic the Gathering, though I haven't played that game in a very long time, but is the, uh, you know, the sort of strength of cards going against the defense of other cards and then the various little factors that can come in to alter that once it started to happen and the way, right. you know, you can, it doesn't maybe have quite as much in the way of like stacking and synergizing techniques as Magic does, but it has a little right. bit of that, right? Um, yeah, totally. And, and then, you know, but then it also has that similarity to, similarity to just hand building card games where you're just trying to get that combination of cards you need so you can play them out and win points with them kind of thing yep yeah yeah and and then it all comes together in a in a way that is is both fun and realistic um it's it's a pretty impressive feat that uh that clopper did in in putting this game together originally it's you know uh, and i i think this was the first one that he did um right yeah, because it could have been just like you said, like a go fish thing. I mean, that would still serve a function because it would yep. serve as like flashcards to familiarize yourself with a bunch of these different techniques and things. But it wouldn't, the mechanics wouldn't do anything to enhance that. Whereas here, the mechanics, you know, have a story too, which is what counts with games to teach things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, those were the things that I definitely wanted to talk about. Is there anything else we really want to discuss about, about the game um, that we, we haven't covered? I can mention the uh, the storytelling bits. Oh yeah, that's with. right. I, I almost forgot, and I apologize for that. So that that is the thing that one of the things that we're working on, and Randy in particular has been focused on, is offering up a an alternative uh, rule set, which you know, using the same cards but for for a very different kind of game. So talk should we should we explain the manager's challenge too as part of that? I, I assume you know because some people are interested in that. Um, sure. Cause it kind of uh, relates to it, but I, I don't know, Randy, if that is different from what you wanted to say, or if you want to well, explain let's, let's, both. Yeah. Let, let me, let, let me take a, a shot at the whole manager's challenge thing. And then, um, and then we can get into the, the storytelling variant. So like in the, uh, you know, the released or declassified version, there is a set of cards called manager's challenge, um, which is, you know, basically can be played, uh, against uh, a player and that forces them to sort of explain, um, the setup or you know uh, collection strategy that they put down on on the table, um, and to sort of justify like how that would really work in in real life, um, and you know we we tested a little bit with that um, and found that it's a little bit awkward for people who are not actually in the CIA, um, and it just sort of uh, it almost sort of halts the game. It, it, it you know initially sort of came off as an awkward thing, especially for just sort of a general 
purpose tabletop kind of game. Um, and so we've made the decision to remove that from the base rule set. Um, that we're going to add in some some ways to bring that back in if you really want to have that that full experience in in some form or another, um, despite not actually working at the CIA, which I assume most of the people backing this don't. Some may, who knows? Because uh, some because some people hear that and they think it seems like some people they think like oh, that sounds really fun. Why would you take it out? And I get right. that reaction because that was some of what I thought when I first saw it. But the issue isn't really that it you know that it can't be fun, but is that it's like it's sort of it's either too easy or too hard. Like it just doesn't make sense to try to work it into the mechanics in that way yeah and you know you can put it on top as a as a rule that modifies the mechanics or that is a requirement for certain plays very very easily without like putting it into the card deck which seems to just become it it makes the subjectivity of the players and how they're going to treat you know what's a good explanation what's not and so on such a huge factor that it imbalances the rest of the game massively yeah yeah and and you know to some extent, you have to trust us. I mean, the, in testing it with that, with sort of the original setup, it, it really, it, it makes the game a lot more awkward. As soon as we remove that in testing it, the game just went a lot better. Um, but again, like we will we'll have, um, you know, different ways that you can add that back into the game for people who really, really want that in the game. We're, we'll, we'll, we're going to, we've been talking through ways to, to include it, but just that it's not a part of the, the basic rule set and people will be able to play the game without it, which we think is probably a better overall experience. And then also that some of the fun of, of what that would have been is going to be even better in the sort of storytelling variants that we're right. working on that Randy's going to explain. Exactly. So yeah. now let's go over to Randy and you can talk about the, the, the storytelling variant that you're working on. Sure. So uh, when we first started looking through these cards, these techniques, these crises, they're just they're so evocative. And uh, my background and most of what my studio does is uh, storytelling games, some tabletop games, some embodied games and simulation games when you're actually walking around. And uh, so we figured it'd be fun as part of the Kickstarter to use these same cards to become fodder for a storytelling game. Uh, we're still in the early stages of figuring out what direction that game might go in. So I've done playtests of a few pretty different variants, and I can I can sort of share the details now, but I'll just uh, preface it by saying there are a bunch of directions we can go in, and we're still trying to figure out which is the most fun, which generates the best stories. So the uh, the, the two big forks that I'm looking at right now, uh, well, there are forks in terms of how you structure the narrative uh, and how you, how you use the cards. So on the, the structure side, uh, there's a question around you know, is does everyone does everyone sort of have equal narrative authority, and you're you're sharing around who's talking at any given point, but you kind of are approaching the story with sort of the same uh, ability to to shape it, or mm-hmm. do you have uh, one person who's the lead facilitator, who in a, a tabletop game might be the game master or dungeon master, and they're the ones really holding the plot in their head, and the other players are the ones structuring, you know, how they're going to overcome the obstacles that the, the uh, facilitator is throwing out there. And I think both of these models could be quite successful, and it's just a matter of um, which is, are going to fit better with the cards as we keep iterating. Uh, the second sort of design fork that, uh, that we're looking at is just, just how to use the cards to affect uh, outcomes. So just like in, in some uh, storytelling games, you might roll dice to see if the protagonists overcome a challenge, uh, here we really want to lean in hard to the uh, information on the cards themselves. So, given that the cards, the challenges have, uh, the crises have difficulty numbers, and uh, and the techniques also have difficulty that they can uh, be applied to, uh, there are a few methods we can use to use those cards to determine 
if during any part of the story the uh, the protagonists in this case the um, the CIA employees are successful. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the the uh, final uh, area of design exploration is around uh, a little bit of theme and genre and uh, the the two broad directions we can go in there. One uh, hues quite closely to uh, what really what the game's intended for. So you're you're not pay- playing field agents. You're playing the team that is trying to amass all the information to really understand the crisis, so that the crisis can then be diffused. Uh, so that's one path, and I think we can probably create some really compelling stories about this team that is like scrambling to get the right information um, to to save the day. Uh, but it's much more of a uh, back. But, you know, an office wheeling and dealing uh, type mm-hmm. storytelling. Uh, and then the other direction, you can lean hard into the, like, spy thriller James Bond genre. <laughs> uh, and I, I played one game of this that was over-the-top ridiculous and a lot of fun. Um, in this case, our, uh, our super spy wa- was put onto the fact that someone was trying to blow up a bunch of oil pipelines. Mm. Um, and as, as they continued to investigate and use the different uh, intelligence techniques on the cards, it turned out that it was a bunch of... Uh, um, clean energy and solar tech companies that wanted to drive up the price <laughs> of oil. That's funny. Um, so there, there are a lot of fun directions we can go in, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the remainder of the the playtest process to figure out uh, just what we're going to land on. Yeah, yeah, and so you know we'll definitely be doing a lot of playtesting on that and sort of figure out that. But it'll you know, and this is entirely separate from the sort of core rule set. It'll just be sort of a different, entirely different use of the card. So. Um, you know, it's sort of getting two games in one for, <laughs> for what we're doing and, uh, but both of which will be fun and sort of give you insight and, uh, understanding of kind of, you know, what the, what the CIA is up to, which is kind of an interesting thing to be working on. Um, cool. Um, did anyone, do we have anything else that we want to talk about in terms of the game? Just to back us, it's a you know, yeah. a few days uh, left in the Kickstarter. It ends uh, Tuesday um, at eleven fifty nine p.m. Pacific time. Yeah, so May twenty second. Uh, hopefully, you're listening to us to this before then. Um, but on Kickstarter, if you just do a search for CIA, uh, it seems to be the top result. And there will be a link in the description of this podcast in the tech dirt post about this podcast. We're going to, we'll put links everywhere that you might see this podcast. So you can look for those as well. Yeah. And if you just go to Google and type CIA game, it should come up as well. So basically if you're listening to this and you haven't backed it, um, please do. Um, we're, you know, our, our plan, our initial plan was definitely, you know, have this Kickstarter campaign, figure out how many of these we need to print and print that many. Um, whether or not we'll ever end up printing more, we don't know. But so if you really want to make sure that you get a copy of the game, and we recommend that you do, <laughs> uh, it would help to, to go and back it on Kickstarter before the campaign ends on Tuesday. Definitely. And if you're interested in just the digital copies, you can print at home. We have that up there as well. I think yep. the, that's at a $10 uh, tier. And, and if you already have backed, thank you so much. We just deeply appreciate your support and are so excited to get the game in your hands. Yeah, and and it's been really exciting and people have been so cool about it and um, lots of people have been reaching out and emailing and, and I know like literally yesterday, I didn't pass this on to either of you guys yet, but yesterday somebody sent me an email that literally just said, I am so excited about this. <laughs> it's like, yep, so are we. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely a fun project to be a part of and so... Um, thank you to, to both of you guys. Uh, it's been fun working with you guys on this project, definitely. And, uh, and to everybody who's been supporting us, it's, this is, this is, uh, 
a, a fun community that we have discovered. Um, and I think that's it. Anybody have anything else? Anyone? Final, final, final thoughts? <laughs> I think that's it. All right, cool. I think so. Uh, uh, thanks again to you guys. So thanks to everyone who's listening. And uh, if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, check out some of our past episodes and then uh, subscribe and listen to more future podcasts because we, we have some good stuff here too. Not just CIA games, but also other good stuff. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.